1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. Welcome to the Rector's Cupboard. Uh, this uh, episode, we are going to be talking to poet uh, Susan Alexander a little bit later. Uh, but we have got first here in our host conversation, Todd Weeb. Hello. Hello. As well as Amanda Mina. Hello. And we thought that we would read a couple of Susan's poems uh, before we actually get to our interview with her. Because one of the things that we found is... There just wasn't enough of her poetry in the interview itself. And, and we it's thought so that was sad. beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. P.S. Buy, buy the books. They're good. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Yeah>. For Susan. <laughs> yes. No, I, I will stand by that. Uh, we're going to be considering it in this uh, section two of her poems that we kind of saw uh, that, that mirrored a little bit. Uh, Apologue and Last Morning from her book, Nothing You Can Carry. So we're going to read those Which out. Which is a recent book. Yes, it is. Yes. It just came out within the last, last year. Fall. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So we're going to read those and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit. So the first one is called Apologue. My great-granddaughter put a wisp of blue in my palm. She asked, what is this? She wouldn't tell me where she found it. It took me a while to remember the word. Feather. Once, I told her, when I was a little girl, birds flew through the air and built nests in trees. Each had its own tune and plumage. Some were green, some blue, some scarlet, and others were brindled, gray and brown. Their colors were made of feathers. What happened to the birds, she asked. One day, all over the world, the birds stopped singing. They began to fade. You could see through their bodies. Then they were shadows, then gone. Next, we felt a lightness come, a hollow form inside our bones. Mm, so good. And then the next poem we wanted to read was called Last Morning. And it's actually the last poem, I believe, in it's the, the book. It's the last poem in the book. Um, and even reading it again this morning, I was struck like, what a perfect thing to read last and just yeah. kind of close the book and walk away from it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is last morning. Listen, it is still not too late. The invisible bird is a song you can almost see, a shape that hovers over the meadow, absence above the swinging blackberry cane. Even now, as close as the world, it sings to you. They're so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like... But they're they're like, mm, I feel like they're they're like indulgent, like they are like they're rich. Mm -hmm. They mirror each other really well. I they mean, apologue leaves me with a sense of sadness. It's just it's dystopian. Yeah, it doesn't end. Hopefully, it ends with no, <laughs> no. It ends with a hollowness. Yeah, yeah. 
this idea that the birds were just gone. Like that's, you kind of have this visceral reaction to it when you stop to think about what would the world be like if you just stopped hearing the birds sing? Well, it depends if Ollie's been out recently. (laughs) For those of our listeners who don't know, Todd has a very bird murdering cat. (laughs) He's, he's going to therapy. (laughs) I I I, don't know if you can reform him. I think that um, in, in Apolog, I like the list of the colors. Mm. Each had its own tune and plumage. Some were green, some blue, some scarlet. Others brindled gray, brown. Um, and I think some of the strength you're talking about that you mentioned, Allison, is there's this um, awareness of what's been lost. Yeah. and Or at least even the question that she's putting before us like to to count what has been lost. And this is imaginative. Like there mm. are no birds at all left. And then... And then they begin to fade, and then you can see through their bodies, like all that color's mm-hmm. gone. And it, it, you can identify with it then if if you feel in any way that there is a colorlessness in the present. You know, when people are longing for a time before. But but then, the, I like that last morning then ends with looking ahead, though. Like it's oh, not, I, it's I love not the way late. it starts. As a bookend, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. It's It's so perfect. No, I, and you get like this call towards the birds reappearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and seeing a bird in the absence. Yeah. Like in the spiritual life, that's such an important concept to, you know, and we're not good at it, I don't think, and, but to understand that sometimes your connection to God is, is feeling that absence, whatever it might be in your own life or your own, and and the way that we've been kind of socialized in church and stuff often, particularly evangelical churches, it's all kind of a positive expression. It's all like, here's what you need to do to get close to God. Here's what you, you know, here's, and then sometimes to just hear, no, it's just absence. And, and there's a confronting of that, that um, absence above the swinging blackberry cane, mm-hmm. but then she's hopeful with it, right? Mm-hmm. That, so there's something to me that is, um, realistic about it it feels timely it does right? we've had this absence for <laughs> almost <laughs> a year now could you be talking right? about amanda <laughs> where we're sitting in the world but we're we're on the cusp of that hopeful emergence right the vaccinations are yeah. coming and so you come out on the other side of it well and, and i think the part of of the poems uh that that i kind of was drawn to was in the first stanza, stanza of apologue where she goes it took me a while to remember the yeah. word. Mm. And there's Feather. part where I go like, what normal things, even if you don't cast them in the, in the light of COVID, I think that there's a lot of relevance there, but like the forgetting of things and then like the act of remembering and like struggling to grasp something. I just, it, yeah, I was very drawn to that particular section of the poem. It has like, I know she, Susan Alexander reads like a lot of, good poets a lot and and you know she really likes margaret atwood and, and we've it, talked about the handmaid's it tale sounds like the handmaid's tale. it does it's like looking back to a scene of like oh yeah remember when there were birds so when the little girl says what happened to the birds mm-hmm. the great granddaughter right yeah what happened to the birds like this is someone who's never seen birds lived a whole lifetime mm-hmm. in this dystopian landscape of some kind whatever it would be right and and i think susan alexander is not afraid to to go there like her poetry isn't easy 
it isn't always no. easy. And, no, no, no. And but yet that's what brings some of its strength, right? Yeah. And the, and the image of hollowness, like hollow people, right? Hollow men, hollow women. That it's so. Then they were shadows, and then they were gone, and then we felt a lightness come, a hollow inside our bones. That there's an impact on humanity in the loss. Well, and it and it speaks to like the gradual, um, disappearance. Mm. That it it's not this this snap and. Like she goes, one day this happened, right. then this happened, mm. then this happened. And, and you, you see the progression from, from point A where there are birds to point B where no one knows what they are. Can you read a poem like this? And, and um, like if I read these and then, I mean, we live in a place here where there's a ton of birds in our yard all the time, right? And well, <laughs> Dead or alive? Not, <laughs> who knows? So question, Depends on uh, the day. Almost all alive. And... <laughs> And just the, and so I can, I can see a bird and after reading this, I'm, I can be so much more grateful, right? That, so it's not just an appreciation of like mm. some of the difficulties, but it's like, no, 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 we're in this. Well, uh, and I think that poetry can do that is it, it draws attention. Mm-hmm. Astonishment. Yeah. I was just outside for a few minutes just before we started recording this and there was a hummingbird. Oh, was there? In the trees, yeah. And here we are in February, and there's the hummingbird. Yeah. And you can't help but feel astonished at a hummingbird. Yeah. Just the way they hover there. They're beautiful. They're striking. Joining us today is Susan Alexander, who is a writer and a poet, the author of The Dance Floor Tilts. Her work has received multiple awards and has appeared in anthologies and several literary magazines, both in Canada and the UK. And I note, as well as on Vancouver buses, I'll ask about that, and on In the Woods in Whistler. Uh, most recently, her suite of poems called Vigil received the 2019 Ross and Davis Mitchell Prize for Faith and Poetry. Susan, welcome. Good to have you here. Yeah. Thank you. And Allison is our co-host here as well. Welcome, yes. Allison. Thank you. So, uh, tell tell me about or tell us about the um, appearing on Vancouver buses. Oh, that was so fun! Um, every year, there's a chance for poets to submit. I think it's like 14 lines. Uh, for consideration through Word Vancouver. And they go through, uh, it has to be, um, I think it has to be a BC poet or BC publisher or some kind of thing like that. And they pick them and then up they go in the buses. Um, it, you, there's a jury and everything. And then the ones that get selected get go up. And it's just such a fun thing. So to, you saw them up there? I Did never you? saw them. No. I was riding buses. I was trying to find my poem. And then a friend of mine like took a picture oh, of so him you... beside my poem. Oh, and, uh, and that kind of thing. So it was really fun. But I it was I, I never got to see I saw one when I did a reading. There was an originally a reading down at the Vancouver um, library for everybody. And there was a bus with uh, all of them. So I did uh, okay. see it. And I also have have it actually behind me i could i could i could you could see it if you want yeah yeah please yeah it's just on the wall behind me there it is oh fantastic oh, okay that's beautiful so it was so like it's put up on poetry the... in transit oh that's wonderful <laughs> now what about the woods in whistler oh the woods in whistler was it was another one of those contests where um they have every year they, there's there's two sites they have with um uh, installation art and uh, one's in the woods and one's more on the water 
uh, it's around Alta Lake. Yeah. Okay. And um, anyway, um, they have a competition, and I I put in a poem. It's actually in this book. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Nothing you can carry, and it's um, about uh, ferns. And anyway, they 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 put it up. My, and my one horror was there was a typo. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it was like, oh no, there's a typo in a poem. It's okay. It's and it was, it, it was, it wouldn't make any different for sound. It was like bass, you know, a bass uh, note. Right. And it was spelled B-A-S-E. Oh no. A bass. Uh, so most people, many people would not notice. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? Generally, people walking through the park may not pick it up. Although I did post it on Facebook and said, can you see the mistake? <laughs> Good for you. So we have these um, some lines from writers that we've we've kind of repeated a number of times on the podcast. One of them uh, I was thinking about in, in light of reading your work and this Nothing You Can Carry book, um, holding it up right now, um, is a fantastic book of poetry. It's your uh, most recent thing that's been published, right? So um, really recommend that. We'll put links to, to how to get the stuff and everything. But um, um, as I was reading that, uh, the concept of attention and attentiveness came to mind. And that drew to mind one of these quotes that we've read a number of times on the podcast, which is from Simone Weil, who said, attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It presupposes faith and love. And as soon as I start reading your work, I'm kind of transported to where you are in many of these scenes, whether it's, you know, the deck of a cabin or in the woods or in some kind of imaginative place. And that concept of just paying attention and how that is something that's akin to prayer. So uh, that's just something to kind of hold for us as we go through all of this interview, but I thought we'd start off by just asking, I just ask you about your love of reading and your appreciation of words, where that came from, how it's become an important part of your life. Um, thanks. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, um, I think it started very, very young. I think I taught myself how to read as a kid. I'm the youngest of seven, so I probably had like... Wow six teachers right? <laughs> teaching me how to read I, I, you know. um, but I it was one of those places that I could disappear and be alone was in reading you know I could be in the mm -hmm. family but still just get some peace and quiet and it, you know I think a lot of people feel like this but I always felt like a bit of a weirdo in my family just a little different uh, and and uh, and um, reading gave me that alternate universe um, that I could live in, which is right beside the real one. Mm, that's well put. And um, where where people, I could find people more like me <laughs> in books. You could tell you could tell yourself they were more like you too, right? It's easy to kind of absolutely, yeah. of course, yeah. I tell myself probably like lying to myself. Um, C.S. Lewis said, uh, you know, we read to know we are not alone, mm -hmm. and I like that. Because, you know, often we search for company, I think, in, in books. Hmm. So I, I definitely echo Todd's, um, Todd's compliments that, like, your reading is, is beautiful and very, like, it definitely transports you. Um, I, I'm curious what other sorts of, of writing or if there's other sorts of writing that you, you do or that you connect with, whether you you experiment a little bit outside of poetry 
Um, I have, I, I have, I mean, I've t- taken stabs at everything. I mean, my secret goal is I'd love to write a play and see it put up. Mm. And, well, it's not, I, now it's not secret anymore. <laughs> um, well, you saw my, that somewhere, I thought. Yes. Yeah. yeah, my not so secret goal is to write a novel. Um, and I've got it like a crappy draft in my, my cupboard, you know, just like, gathering dust, but I keep going back to it. Mm. Um, So there is that. I think that um, I really like to uh, do, yeah, do some more prose writing. Mm. But there's something about, you know, what you talked about, attention, and the the scope of a poem Mm. is very uh, small and Mm. very focused. Mm -hmm. And I think that really it keeps it appeals to me deeply and I keep going back to it keep going back to it Mm. do you find that that writing is I'm I'm not a writer is there is there almost like a compulsion like what 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 moves you to to begin a poem yeah that's interesting often you know the uh, funny thing about about writing poetry is I'm often inspired by other people's poems Mm. like that's one thing when I'm reading other people and it's like yeah uh, or or oh yeah what about that and (laughs) so um sometimes it's in you know it's words really that that really push me into into writing it's that playfulness the music words make the rhythm mm. the feel of them in your mm. mouth and also the images that they create and the, yeah. the the you know the drama um <laughs> yeah because a lot of my poems are, can be quite narrative you know mm-hmm. they tell stories um and i i i yeah so Does that's it take sort you- of does it take you a long time to write a poem? Do some, or do, is it different? Do some come quickly and others you're kind of crafting? Or um, I think that it comes. It depends. Mm. Mostly, it, it it might come quickly to begin with, and then it takes a mm. lot of time, usually, mm. to craft, 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 and to put it aside, let it sit. <laughs> come back to it and think this is not working do i even like this anymore Uh (laughs) yeah Uh Yeah. and i was thinking about what you were you were talking about earlier well did you ask me about reading sorry did did you say what about what other things i read or no like what you Hmm. what you enjoy reading what kind of writing connects with you um yeah and i i was i was thinking that poetry is a different kind of animal entirely from like I love reading novels Mm -hmm. I just adore reading novels like good writing (laughs) um and uh and but it's also got this escapist element Mm -hmm. I can just lose myself in it whereas poetry it forces you to engage you know it's it's really difficult to escape um Mm. in a poem except to just like toss it aside just or whatever it. But it, you, you either engage or you ignore it yeah you yeah. It, it's it's a bit more of a demanding exercise mm. and it's very you know poetry is very distilled um and it's like the poetry i like usually has a bit of an emotional hit which is like you know i like that then i i love that from a poem rather than just pure aesthetics mm. so 
Do you, do you have a favorite poet or anyone in particular that really you keep coming back to or draws your attention, you get excited by? Um, well, one of my favorite poets is, um, is a teacher and now a friend. And she's really, because I came to poetry, you know, late after lots of other things. Mm. I'd always wanted to write and, you know, being busy journal writing and um, I did academic, some academic writing, you know, all sorts of writing. And I was a journalist for a, for a while. Um, but uh, it wasn't until I, I came to her class class uh you know generative poetry class that it really felt like okay i'm getting somewhere her name's lorna crozier she lives in in on vancouver island um and she's just you know she's got the governor general's award <laughs> order of canada mm. i don't know how many you know uh uh, honorary doctorates, but uh, she's a wonderful poet, memoirist, writer, person, teacher. Yeah, All sorts of I adore her. Anyway, I love her work. And she's always inventing things like she invents forms and mm. she doesn't stick um, uh, to, to the same thing. There's some, she's got this book out that you two would love called, um, it's called the the God of, oh gosh, it's gone, it's gone. The God Look of shadows. Um, anyway, it's it's a wonderful. It's the God of <clears throat> by Lorna Crozier, and it is pretty full sure of prose gonna... poems about about um, different gods. Like there's the you know the God of owls is in there, and the God of uh, I think there's the God of of doubt and the God of oh, like all cool. sorts of things, probably like, you know, mistakes. <laughs> that <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> sometimes concrete it's... and sometimes, and, and it's fun, lighthearted and serious. Yeah. She's, she's wonderful. I just what, love What a gift work. that you can counter a friend now too. Yes. You know, I it's... know. It's like, I was just like a groupie for forever yeah. <laughs> following her around from, well, that's testimony to both of you. It's because there's not historically there's not a ton of celebrity poets. I mean, they are there in our history, well, but yeah. uh, you know, I, so I think in this last number of weeks we've had this rising quick star. Well, quick for most of us of Amanda yeah. Gorman. You must have watched the inauguration and then seen, Super and then the Bowl. Super Bowl too. Did you see Super Bowl? She yeah, I watched that. I watched. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Just that part. <laughs> I watched Amanda Gorman. It's awesome to say. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but I just watched the poetry part. Yeah, exactly. Can we do that every year now at the Super Bowl? On a different note. So what, what, how do you feel when you hear, when you see things like that as a poet? You must be like, this is tremendous. Oh, it is unbelievable to see. Um, I mean, that was, um, that was crazy. Like at the inauguration, yeah. it yeah. was just unbelievable to see this beautiful, composed yeah. intelligent young woman so beautifully too. dressed and just delivered Everything. this yeah. this poem and, and her delivery was fantastic and the mm. poem itself was mm. was was wonderful it was like perfect you know it was like um almost like a manifesto yeah. or something uh, a rallying cry to wake us up into a whole yeah. new world you know <laughs> a brighter future it was yeah, it was it was something else. 
It's almost like poetry comes above the surface for like a moment and you'd be like, that's what it can do. That's what it can. And then, and then it goes back. Right? Like it's, I know. Uh, yeah. I, I know it was, I was, yeah, I was so, I'm still excited by it. And, and one of the things I'd left about it too, was all her references were, um, you know, given what's been going on in the States with white supremacy yeah. and Black Lives Matter. And, you know, her references were wonderful. Like she referenced Langston Hughes, yeah. I think, and um, Lewis and she did, yeah. and uh, Martin Luther King. Um, it was just amazing, as well as scripture and yeah. uh, Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I caught that one, too. I was like, ooh. <laughs> I know, I know, and I just thought like she she worked out this um, Maya Angelou, yeah. you know, just drawn deep with like such pride, yeah, of of these these voices, right? And it was just oh, obviously, I was excited. Yeah, so good. <laughs> no, I remember being very very like, um, what's the right word? Like it, it was it was it was like fixing, like during the inauguration all of a sudden it was almost like tunnel-ish so that, uh, yeah it was it was beautiful mean, it was like oh there's something to really yeah. pay attention to now yeah, yeah. well and i think we should talk again about susan's work but i mean <laughs> i feel like i could fangirl over amanda gorman a little bit more but well just like i fangirled over loner Crozier. yeah there you go <laughs> You know, it's like, oh my, well, there's these people who inspire us and there are more like there's Patrick Lane, Jan Zwicky, um, Billy Ray Belcourt, um, mm. Neil Serkin, just a number of like some older, some these younger poets mm. that are just, um, yeah, to me, they're writing about things that are deep and important mm. and often ignored mm -hmm. and I was thinking about this I was thinking about what you know what is it that is that thing um and I I, I don't know it's like we have these experience of, of of life that we need to wrap we don't wrap words around like it's like um mm -hmm. in in our daily lives there's so much that is that happens to us that that we don't talk about mm. and poets do well and i think one of the beautiful things about poetry in particular and you you've already alluded to it um susan is that there, there's such a distillation like you, can, you can't waste words in poetry you don't have the space you don't have the time like there there is it's almost like it stands against poetry like you and i think that there's there's such a care that has to go into into the words that you pick and the words that you choose and, and you can't kind of BS your way through something to get to a place. Um, and I I know particularly with with your work, one of the things I, I love, like it's it it's it's beautiful, but it, it's quite succinct in in the fact that like I feel like you you can read it and you can you you can just sit in it for a little bit and it's not like like while there's great amazing beautiful themes like it, it's not like an overwhelming thing um i know that you talk about nature a lot in in your poetry um and it's it's very present there and could you tell us a bit about the relationship between nature and listening nature and prayer where where that inspiration is for you 
Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much, by the way, for I'm glad uh, for your words about my poems, because I, I do want people to sit in them and take time in them, but I also want them to be accessible. Like mm-hmm. that's really important to me mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I want more than poets reading my poetry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I do. It's, um, I think that's, I want, I want to bring it into the world, which is something that, Going back to Amanda Gorman, she just did mm. in in a writ large. But um, in terms of the natural world, I know almost every. It's so so funny because I was going through my latest book and actually my the dance floor tilts and almost every page there's like in almost every single poem there's something about nature. Even if it's mm. not about nature, there's a detail of nature <laughs> in it, right? Um, and I. I think partly it's my environment. I live on an island mm. and I have the great privilege of, of you know, looking out at mountains and mm. ocean and rock and uh, trees and being able to go out in onto paths and very easily. And it really, I guess it just per- permeates. It's, mm. it's what I see and it's where I live. Yeah. Um, it's how I, you know, way before I found any faith, I had faith in mm. that connection there. Mm. Um, I'd say it was probably my first, you know, I don't know about you, but just as a child, I remember looking at buttercups. And I remember lying in like long grass, looking up at the blue sky and feeling connected to something, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned not wasting words, which I agree no. with, by the way, but I don't know how to say the title of the poem. Klamavi? Oh, Klamavi. Yeah. Oh, God, oh, yeah. kind of right. Okay. So this, well done, Todd. you have a poem in, in um, Nothing You Can Carry, which is kind of a, a confession in a way, it's like a confession of, of sin, um, this prayer. I, and there's this section, I lift up to you not only our petroleum sins, but also byproduct spinoffs and our plastic iniquities of. And then you have a list. So when you said <laughs> there's no like wasted words or like things are just, I thought there's one place I saw a list of just stuff. And of course that list could have been so much longer, right? But it's kind of playful there. You've got polyester, spandex, hearing aids, mm. heart valves, and then fishing get down rods, to there. milk jugs. Uh, artificial where, limbs where art- it talks about like things that are i would say not wasteful yeah uh well yeah well every, milk jugs i mean we need life jackets <laughs> yeah there's, and then so, lipstick. <laughs> there's uh, but in, in nature because one of the i mean we'll talk about it in a few minutes but there's also this real really vivid and stark and sometimes hard to hear um sense in some of your writing that is is beautiful but beautiful in that in that troubling kind of way sometimes like the and in nature i i wonder if if kind of the indifference that we can see in nature sometimes speaks to you like that it's it's just there and it's not necessarily there for you or there's some really troubling things in nature as well Mm -hmm. um, that i can see you referencing have you seen some of that indifference or some of those some of those darker themes in nature that kind of enliven how you write um i think with with what nature always reminds me of is is as human beings we kind of think we have this mastery over the natural world 
and mm-hmm. um, all its creatures. And it, it, you know, it goes with with the Christian story. Um, and and we're, we we become really blind to our deep, deep, deep dependency on the natural world. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, I don't see it as indifference, but I see it as being kind of small. It makes yeah, me okay. feel small. It makes me it de- definitely feel humble. Um, I can't generate food, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, on my own. I am definitely a dependent of this world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's that human centered thinking. Gets, I feel like uh, contact with nature really pushes you me off base from that sort of human-centered thinking, and I know about like no, I I, I you know I wouldn't want to be in a snowstorm with no um, right. you know dying of cold right. and things can happen, um, but I think that should keep us humble. Like uh-huh. I think that should, and, and we aren't, and and I think that's why we're in such trouble. What about um, one of the things that, in terms of, you know, the bigger theme of attentiveness or attention, that actually we now know from researchers and writers and studies and whatever else, that that um, our creativity is diminished, you know, because of all the distraction in our lives. And that I always picture it, and we each can picture things like this in different ways, but I always picture it, I used to, you know, when I was a kid, you would sit at a bus stop. And if you were sitting at a bus stop, that's what you were doing was Maybe sitting a at book, a bus stop. If you were and lucky. <laughs> me, yeah, probably not a book, but, but, um, maybe Susan had a book, but, maybe. but, uh, but now, you know, it, the phone is everywhere. So you're always, and that there's a loss in that. Um, mm-hmm. and that is, is it, can nature kind of pull you back towards that attentiveness a little bit, or can you still just be in nature always distracted all the time? Um, I don't know. I have to tell you something before yeah. I forget, though, was, yeah. is that one of the things about the bus poetry is that everybody's on their phone and nobody looks up. Uh, and I remember sitting uh, on a bus and looking up and reading one, you know, reading poems when I was younger, mm-hmm. when, That's you know, um, I didn't have a mobile phone. And now it's like if you notice on the buses, they're taking the advertising away because everybody's it's on their phone. Pointless. Who's going to pay for it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're going to pay for it on getting, Facebook instead. Yeah. <laughs> getting back to your question is, I can be as I'm as busy and distracted mm. as the next person for sure with all my devices and that kind of thing. And sometimes, you know, I get so busy that it's like I. We'll have to put on a podcast. Maybe I'm going to do one of yours. Yeah. Um, and it, to get me out the door and get my running shoes on to get uh, me out. Totally. But the moment I enter the, the woods, I I unplug mm. and it's like, take that in. because, And I have read those studies too about like forest bathing and stress yeah. reduction. Yeah. And, and, you know, your aggression goes down, your depression goes down if you actually are spend time in in, in, around around trees it's something like we're wired that way um yeah and the other yeah anyway it's 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 is a bit of a discipline i guess really yeah i think that's probably true because you you could carry your phone there and all those devices and and i guess some people do right but Mm -hmm. but even there i think even in our distracted world there is this there is that kind of pull right yeah that and i don't know that 
maybe it's what's left of reverence or, or something yeah. like that, right? That yeah. there's something bigger before us. And so, and I also think that many people, you know, you can holler at the distraction and the phones and the whatever, but many people who are, who have that long for something different as well, right? That it's, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so. Well, it's one of the reasons when um, my kids were very young, we moved to Bowen Island um, because I, I wanted them to be able to have that direct contact mm. with nature and not, you know, I was worried, I didn't have to worry about them, you know, getting snatched from a park or, mm. you know, or getting hit by a car maybe, but they might fall off a cliff. Right. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's preferable. <laughs> if I lose them that way. That's, if one had to. <laughs> that's like math by it a was, poet. It was terrible thinking. Oh maybe, maybe I just wanted to be able to neglect them. <laughs> Anyway, they're alive and well. Yeah. You'll be happy to know. And As a side up. note, yes. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, but I do think that um, yeah, I I I I I believe that we this it's an essential part. Mm-hmm. I you know, there's that whole idea that we are like biologically Stone Age people, mm-hmm. and um, you know, when and I think there's some. Somebody said, you know, we have these, yeah, we have this godlike technology and we are Stone Age people. And I, I, I agree with that. I think it's very confusing for us. And um, the best thing you can do for me, I suggest, and it works for me is just getting out in the natural world. Hmm. Hmm. So building from, well, I'll go back to the cliff comment then. (laughs) I love that. As as kind of, because there is like... I pick up lots of hope in, in your writing. Um, but I think one of the things that draws me to it is it's not a false hope. And as someone who worked in a church for years and stuff, not saying that church is false hope, but there's so many places where it's just trite little sayings or, you know, everything's going to be okay. Or the, the hope in your work is not just it's a trite, everything's going to be okay. It's a call to something bigger. And, um, you know, that, that just... I connect with it. Um, but part of that is there's some dystopian themes in there. There's some themes of that are like darkness and what's lost and kind of, there's a lot of a uh, few things, at least in this book that I pick up of, you know, there's a, there's this world that used to be, but now we're in this time. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested to kind of like ask about that. How do you, cause that, that's something different than just writing about, you know, noticing something in nature. There's, oh, there's something yeah. there's something different going on there. Uh, tell us about that. How do you see these kind of larger truths coming out with some of these themes? Well, I think the the the, the fun not funny the this the difficult thing about being attached to the natural world is seeing what's happening and mm. having to process that and um, and and I do you know. I go to the natural world for solace mm. from what humans are doing to it, mm. which is a strange thing being a human being. Um, but uh, the dystopian is, 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 is a way of, for me, it's just a way of looking at what is. Mm. I, I don't really see it as dystopian. Yeah. I see it more as realistic. You know, mm. this is actual, there's actual science showing us where we're headed. And, um, Are and you... uh, 
Oh, I was going to say one thing about it is I, I've taken, um, I took a class uh, long ago from Jan Zwicky, who lives up on Quadra Island. And, and she talked about witnessing, like she had, her whole life has been spent, you know, trying to, um, working around the environment, mm. you know, trying to get people to see and, and her more recent poetry has been just really witnessing, you know, witnessing the end of something that she loves. And it's heartbreaking, right? It's just heart, heartbreaking work because there's such love. And I think that is something that I try to do in my poems is witness. Allison picked that up. You were talking to me about that. Yeah, like uh, yeah in, in the stuff that, 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 I've, that I've read, there's almost this this memorializing aspect, this like mm -hmm. time capsule like feel like I, yeah, I need to witness to this for, for people who may not ever experience it. Yeah. yeah. I, I just thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That's... Oh, I mean, it's, it's a little distressing in, in some ways as well, well. but I, I think that's intentional. Like it's supposed to, you're supposed to feel an unease about what is happening and there should be like a grief and a sadness for things that are going to be but, lost. But I'll go to kind of now, Susan, I've had a number of conversations with you and, and all of those, I haven't, up any sense of you that you're like longing for some past as if like the past was so much better than the present or something like that that you seem like generally a hopeful person and glad that the present is is now and um but i i was so i want to ask about that kind of that sense of nostalgia um like what you feel about what we've lost and whether it's kind of because your poetry doesn't strike mm -hmm. me as something that it i, I it helps me to look forward Mm -hmm. Not to, mm -hmm. not to just look back and think, oh, if only we could get back to where we yeah. were, but rather to, even if we're memorializing some things, to kind of say, but let's take a look at where we're going. I, I don't know if you have any comments on kind of the nostalgic nature that some of this brings up. I, well, it's fun. Um, my first book was was very nostalgic. It was like very autobiographical mm. and looking at things. But I don't want to be sentimental. Like I think mm. that I don't like sentimentality. I think it's sort of cheap and kind of fake and not very interesting it's very like to me it's superficial and um you know sure you might leak out a few tears but you also feel really manipulated yeah. <laughs> and i don't want to do that with yeah. with with my work um but i i've had times in my life where i've been you know locked in regret and looking mm. back and wanting to change the past and you know you can't um uh and that can be quite obsessive and it's, I don't think it's a healthy thing, but remembering is different. And I, I've heard it described as you're remembering, mm -hmm. um, you're putting flashback on the bones of an event oh. or a moment. And, and so the other, the other thing that, that invites you to is reflection. And that's where I think we find meaning hmm. in, um, I can see that in your work. Like, mm -hmm. you know, your answer here, it just makes me, yeah, that's right. That's there. <laughs> yeah. Like it's good. When, you know, that's kind of. And one of the, I think one of the practical ways we see it is when we, as we get older, right. And it's like what we like the same event as a child and maybe it was between you and your, your dad or whatever, yeah. or your mom. And then, and then you're an adult, you're a uh, mom. And then the same event, you remember that event and it, completely means mm. something something completely different and so i feel like 
that's the other gift of like you get to mine these events you get to kind of mine the past for levels of meaning you might have you you didn't see at the time you're you're also not afraid to to write about mortality and death like there's Mm. and and I, i was wondering like how you think a sense of that awareness of death can help us to live i mean there's been yeah. a lot said about that but how, that, how well, that feels for you yeah actually I think I yeah I, death is it's tough I had um you know death hadn't really touched me very much mm. until about 13 years ago when when uh, two of my nieces and my mom oh. all died of cancer within weeks of each other weeks mm. like they were all sick at the same time it was just devastating um, the two young women left, you know, young children. And I think what I, I experienced with death is like, like one plus one plus one of death doesn't equal three, it equals 30. Mm-hmm. You know? There's something about death and every next experience that kind of drags the earlier griefs back. You know, it, it, it pulls on the griefs as if they're kind of attached to each other. And, um, and uh, yeah, I've had that, and and recently we've had an opioid death in our family. Oh, so sorry. And uh, you know, suddenly again, it's like the the epidemic that's happening out there is now happening here, right? right? Yeah. And those five people a day who are dying in BC is, you know, they're people. They're yeah. they're people I love. It's a person I love, and someone else loves those people, and it's so so. I think. I had to just, you know, I'm a writer. <laughs> I had to deal with it in my poetry, you know, mm-hmm. and it that's what happened. Um, and there's quite a few poems about death in my other book, mm-hmm. um, and and poetry generally, traditionally, does not shy away from right. death and grief. It it is a way, I think, of acknowledging the truth of it and the depths of things and the pain of loss and also just knowing we aren't here forever right. like this is i'm you know we, we this ends whatever yeah. this is yeah. there's um a wonderful poem that i love by um what is his name right james Wright. and it's he's lying in a hammock on a farm and he's looking up at like just life around him like the butterfly and the this and the that and the leaves and then the last line is i have wasted my life Mm. and that poem is just one that always hits me because it's like when i read that i've I've read it several times and each time i sort of get something different uh about it and i've heard other people discuss this poem it's a pretty famous poem and um and I was I was reading something recently, and the writer was just saying that that poem that that line is a moment of transformation. The way she saw it is uh, a it was transformation in seeing this moment right now, and you know all those moments where we don't aren't paying attention. It gets back to attention. Is you know I've wasted my life. But it's not. But, but the way she's reading it seeing is it. it's not an end. 
No, it's not right. an end. It's, it's not yeah. an end. Because it could be like, so despairing, like, yeah, if you read it the other way. It, yeah, it's yeah. something, yes, and some people have read it that way, but it, I think it's, it, and it can be read that way. I think it depends a, a lot on yeah. the reader for that poem. That's so But good. I do like the, that opening up into, like, it, to me, it's like a bit of a warning again is pay attention, mm. you know, be here, <laughs> be present. So you... And, so yeah, you I was out, just going to yeah. say I don't. I I have a hard. I have a hard time with being present, like like lots of people. Mm. You know, like I need to put myself into yeah. situations where I'm present. So you just read a bit of um, James Wright. I, I want to read just the same way you just did there, just kind of in little clips. I just pulled a few of them out. There could be so many more, but from your from this book, um, uh, from a poem called Apocrypha, and this is largely in some ways speaking about rain, but it says, at one time, God and the angels gossiped perpetually, so much so that the whole earth drowned. That was long ago. Nowadays, they barely talk at all. And a line like, nowadays, they barely talk at all. I just want to hold that and kind of, and then there's more from other, you know, I'll just read from a poem called Verily, Verily, which is, um, you know, uses seasons, but also uh, the seasons of a life and of the whole earth and of time in general. And there's this little line that stood out for me there, just, we are all of us leaving. Um, there can be, and so it could just be one line that can bring a, a tear to an eye or something, right? That we, or from a really nicely named poem, Theophany. Um, and you do this in, in like ask questions. What if this happened or that happened? But uh, what will you cook for dinner if God arrives one evening, self-invited with the usual entourage of do-gooders? I love that. <laughs> <It's> just, um, <laughs> what if, and, but then later in the poem, what if the only thing that God hungers for is you? Um, and then uh, from the end of the book, uh, last morning, listen, it's still not too late. The invisible bird is a song, even now, as close as the world it sings to you. Um, and actually, as, as, uh, as I note the theophany work, it's another thing that people, if they, if they pick up your work and read it, you do a, a beautiful job of kind of the daily stuff of life as well. Mm. Just, you know, from appliances to, you know, the deck of a house to whatever. And so it's not all just nature and kind of, it's mm. just very uh, accessible as well. So uh, we wondered if you could read us a poem uh, of yours. Um, any requests there? Any requests? No, you, oh. well, I just thought I you could pick. I feel like I, I want to know which ones particularly interest you. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to read one that I haven't read, like I've done some readings and I thought, you know what, I'm going to read one I haven't read. Um, and it was one, I want to read it because it, it does deal with a bit of the dystopian mm. Stuff and it also deals with um, my how impl implicated I am mm. in that, which I think is really important when you're writing this stuff, is to to see I, I'm embedded in the system that is destroying the right. world. Like I am, I'm definitely part of that. Yeah, not just pointing um, at somebody else saying they're the you know they've wrecked everything. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and one of the things that I find um, that poetry doesn't allow you to do what you can do in an essay which is like rant <laughs> you know which, you know and and finger point and blame like it, it's it's just not the right medium for that so anyway this one is this poem is called 
a chandelier of sex and propagation. Oh, it's in here. I, I it's find in here. It. It's on page 91. Thank you. And <laughs> it is a poem about, um, and the chandelier of sex and propagation is sadly a maybe for you guys, but it's, it's about, I'm thinking of an alder tree with, you know, mm. all the hanging, um, flowers right mm -hmm. and in that you see in the spring you see them on i think you see them on hazel trees right now too mm -hmm. anyway so a chandelier of sex and propagation today after i've washed the mason jars and left the bay leaf the bones the carrots onions and celery tops to simmer into soup stock on the stove i will plant a garden mix of lettuce seed with an empty cup, I wander the long driveway where catkins dangle from alders overhead. Light, winsome, wind-swung harbingers, teaching me to be undead again when the night loses its hold on hope for dreaming. I am looking for earthworms to go into the raised beds, though the rain stopped before dawn and the worlds turned golden with dust. Siskins send up flares of pollen. What seem to stretch and creep are tree flowers fallen on blacktop. It's been a long time now since I didn't know I was killing the earth. Not just the diesel parked over asphalt, but the wanting more while sighing over TV liars. I am gone far underground to hide from those hungry birds my scruples. I pull out the weeds, bury my hands in black dirt, intend to be pure. That's a good choice. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> oh, it's such a good choice. It's good. It, it's timely. I mean, I know there's a particularity to it, particularity to it, but there's also like, it's a sunny day where we are, probably where you are too, because we're not that far. And, uh, and yet it's super cold and it's February and it's still kind of the dark time of year and we're emerging slowly from this pandemic and uh, any kind of call for us to be undead. Yeah, I wrote down that teaching me um, to, to be come back to life again. and the intention to be pure. But also, as you were saying, the realization like that, that uh, it's been a long time now since I didn't know I was killing the earth. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you that, that poetry can make you do things, too. <laughs> I now have an electric car. Ah, there you go. Good for you. How long have you had it? <laughs> I've had it for a year now. So it, it's so working really, great? It's working okay, well. Good. I'm very happy with it. And it really, but writing that poem... Yeah. <laughs> made me realize you know okay yeah. well what are you gonna do yeah. you know it's nice for you to have your little garden susan but how about you know actually it is it is interesting right because poetry historically has had a connection to activism right mm -hmm. that there is this we need we need poets who can express things to us and call us to call mm -hmm. us to action right so well listen thank you so much um we're gonna tell more friends and others to um, <laughs> find your work 
and mm. pick it up and and keep reading and and those kinds of things and we hope to keep in touch with you in in terms of what work you are doing and who else you should you know who else you tell us to uh listen to we'll track down those names <laughs> um, particularly i'm so sorry there's no celebrity poets right so won a oh. governor general's award and uh, lorna crozier right yes okay yes, <laughs> yes. we'll go read some <laughs> so She'd yeah. definitely be worth your while, let me tell you. Okay, well, great. done, done for sure. Thank you so much <laughs> for your you time. So God much. bless you and your work. It's great to, to speak with you and love your stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.